Welcome to Pulse of the Caribbean, Caribbean News Roundup. Here's a look at some of our Caribbean headlines for today. CARICOM leaders urge to seize on global climate change agenda. CNW Communication commits to lower roaming rates for CARICOM countries. United States to process some visas in Cuba after four-year hiatus. U.S. Virgin Isles Department of Justice reaches $3 million settlement in methane bromide poisoning of tourists. Guyana presidents want region to produce vaccines for COVID-19 other illnesses. Jamaican government to name highway in honor of Harry Belafonte and Beef Island Airport in British Virgin Islands to become regional hub. These and other stories on today's Pulse of the Caribbean, Caribbean News Roundup for Friday, March 4th. We start our report today at CARICOM. Antigua Newsroom reports that high on the agenda meeting of the 33rd Intersessional Meeting of Heads of Government at the Caribbean Community CARICOM in Belize was the issue of climate change and the recently concluded 26th meeting of the Conference of Parties United Nations Climate Change Conference COP26 and the next steps for COP27. In a presentation to heads, Dr. Young, the executive director of the Caribbean Community Climate Change Center, discussed the outcomes of the Glasgow Climate Pact relative to the CARICOM expectations. He indicated while COP26 resulted in progress in a number of key areas of importance to CARICOM and small island developing states, the overall Glasgow Climate Package for small island developing states failed to close the ambitious gap in line with science of 1.5 Celsius and failed to deliver 100 billion U.S. dollars annually by 2020 that was promised by developed countries to developing countries. The Glasgow Climate Pact did not result in the establishment of a loss and damage facility in line with the expectations of small island developing states. Leading up to COP27, Dr. Young encouraged CARICOM member states to be fully engaged by having early and meaningful engagement, both at the political and technical levels, to ensure that the region's priorities are reflected in the work programs and processes established to bridge the ambition gaps at COP26. Dr. Young also updated the heads of government of the recently released Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change Six Assessment Report, Climate Change 2020 Impacts. CARICOM leaders took note of the Glasgow Climate Pact, the 2022 priorities of the UK COP26 presidency, endorsement of the COP27 roadmap, and issued the Ambergris Key Declaration on COP26 Outcomes and CARICOM Expectations in the Lead Up to COP27, A Path from Ambition to Action. St. Lucia Times reports that CNW Communications, the operators of Flow, Flow Business, and CNW Business has announced a suite of new roaming plans to coincide with the declaration of St. George's towards the reduction of intra-CARICOM roaming charges. CNW's new plans include radically reduced rates that will see Caribbean nationals paying far less 
for interregional connections than ever before. The agreement between CARICOM, CNW Communications, and Digicel was signed in St. George's, Grenada earlier this week. Flo is proud to make a concrete step towards answering the call of CARICOM and its citizens to reduce mobile roaming charges in our region, and the signing of the Declaration of St. George's is an excellent first step in establishing a tangible framework, said Curly Prescott, Vice President, CNW Communications, South Caribbean. Prescott said the company's new roaming plan were simple and transparent and were developed to eliminate the shock of receiving an unexpectedly high bill. We are pleased to share that we have taken the first transformative step to provide our valued CARICOM customers with significantly reduced roaming packages, which delivers simple, consistent, and transparent rates, an overall reduction in charges, and the elimination of bill shock for our customers, he said. Prime Minister Dr. Keith Mitchell, the lead CARICOM head of government with responsibility for science and technology, said the Declaration of St. George's signals a period of extensive collaboration between CARICOM and two of the major telecommunications operators within the region. Mitchell said parties to the declaration have agreed on an implementation timeframe between the second and third quarter of this year, considering the technical aspects of the implementation implementation and the public awareness campaigns that must take place. Reuters reports that the U.S. Embassy in Havana announced on Thursday that it would increase staffing and resume some visa processing in Cuba several years after the Trump administration slashed personnel at the facility following a spate of unexplained health incidences. The top U.S. diplomat for Havana, Timothy Zuniga Brown, made the announcement at a news press conference confirming a Rotter's report from Monday. Following the drawdown of staff in Havana in 2017, the Trump administration required Cubans to apply for visas in the U.S. Embassy in Guyana, a costly trip that few on the island could afford. Zuniga Brown's announcement stressed a limited resumption of some immigrant visa services in Havana. It added that Cuban immigrant visas will still be processed primarily in Guyana, while Havana offices will focus on other consular services and limited emergency non-immigrant visa processing. The eventual deployment of additional consular offices to Havana, a result of President Joe Biden's ongoing review of Cuba policy, will begin to address a more than four-year backlog of requests for immigration visas by Cubans with families in the United States. The Virgin Islands Free Press reports that the U.S. Virgin Islands Attorney General Denise George said on Thursday that a $3 million settlement had been reached with Terminix Pest Control Company. The settlement stems from a 2017 lawsuit the U.S. Virgin Islands Attorney General's office filed against Terminix after a family of four vacationing at the Cernusa Resort on St. John, U.S. Virgin Islands in March 2015 became seriously ill when the unit below them was fumigated. The lawsuit alleged that Terminex violated Virgin Islands law by unsafely and deceptively using methyl bromide in numerous residences across the Virgin Islands. Methane bromide is a highly toxic pesticide banned for residential use. 
It ends a multi-year investigation and litigation against the company that put many Virgin Islands families at risk for great harm and devastated a family vacationing on the island, Attorney General George said. The Attorney General's action against Terminex and the resulting settlement is separate from the charges the United States government brought against Terminex and the resulting plea agreement related to the 2015 poisoning incident at Serenusa. St. Lucia Times reports that Guyana's president, Ifran Ali, this week proposed that the Caribbean community CARICOM should develop its capacity to produce vaccines for COVID-19 and other illnesses. According to Guyana's Department of Public Information, in invited comments, Ali recalled difficulties faced by the region in acquiring COVID-19 vaccines and underscored the importance of putting systems in place to ensure a different outcome in the future. He was among regional leaders attending the 33rd Intercessional Meeting of CARICOM Heads of Government in Belize. The Guyanese president said that CARICOM should follow the direction of the community of Latin America and Caribbean state CELAC. CELAC decided to examine the prospect of building capacity to manufacture vaccines. He added that COVID-19 vaccines are among the doses the region can produce and Guyana is ready to play its part. President Ali noted that vaccine manufacturers in India and China have already expressed their interest in participating in the process. St. Martin Island Times reports that St. Martin's Minister of Public Health, Social Development and Labor, Omar Otley, announced that as of March 15, 2022, he will relax the mandate of mask wearing in St. Martin. St. Martin has recorded an infectious rate of 1% over the past week, which is significantly lower than the World Health Organization recommended threshold of an infectious rate of 5%. The minister said that this puts St. Martin in the low-risk category. Therefore, it has taken a decision to relax the mask mandate from code red to code green. The minister also stated that given the current situation of the country, I would advise the Ministry of Tourism, Economic Affairs, Transport and Telecommunications that the closure of business at 3 a.m. can be lifted Everyone is still advised to proceed with caution and isolate immediately if you experience flu-like symptoms or if you are tested for COVID-19 and test positive. According to the report, this is another step towards normalcy as St. Martin prepares to move forward during the endemic phase of COVID-19. Jamaica Information Service reports that Jamaica's National Environmental and Planning Agency, NEPA, aims to release 1,000 Jamaican iguanas in Hellshire Hills by 2026 as the iguana population grows under efforts of the Jamaica Iguana Recovery Program. Speaking during the National Environmental and Planning Agency's World Wildlife Day webinar on February 28, Coordinator Watershed Information System David Reed shared some of the ongoing work under the program to rehabilitate and increase the population of the endemic Jamaican iguana species, which was once thought to be extinct. World Wildlife Day was observed in Jamaica on March 3rd under the theme, Recovering Key Species for Ecosystem Restoration. The conservation efforts surrounding the Jamaican iguana are done 
through a two-prong approach. The population has now made significant recovery since the intervention with natural habitat management, which includes population monitoring, predator control, creation of viable nesting sites, and the maintenance of those nesting sites. As the iguana population increases, the National Environment and Planning Agency for Jamaica is expanding its creation of the artificial nesting sites for the species to reduce overcrowding and competition for nesting grounds. Their efforts include finding suitable soil types, soil depth temperature range, and a canopy cover that will be preferred by the iguana to carry out nesting. Mr. Reed explained that once a nesting period is complete, a number of hatchlings are removed from their natural habitat, which is the Hellshire Hills, and taken into the Head Start program housed at the Hope Zoo in St. Andrews. We remove a particular number based on the capacity of the Head Start program, and currently we are doing up to 100 hatchlings. Their health and growth is documented and once they reach the particular size for release, they are reintroduced to their natural habitat, he pointed out. The first set was released in 1996, and we are up to 534 released to date, Mr. Reed said. Mr. Reed also shared that the increase in the iguana population has also resulted in an increase in predators. These predators include the Indian mongoose, feral cats and dogs, wild pigs, and the cane toad. As such, NEPA has extended its predator control by moving outwards around the core nesting area of the iguanas to catch and remove the predators in the buffer zone before they get onto the core site. We are aiming to have 1,000 iguanas released in Hellshire by the year 2026. Those are some of our future targets that we are aiming towards, and at that rate at which we are going, with the support of the public, the government, and our international partners, we will be able to reach our goal, Mr. Reed said. The Jamaica government has announced plans to honor Jamaican-American singer and civil rights activist Harry Balafonte for his work as a humanitarian and activist across the diaspora. In a message to Mark Belafonte's 95th birthday on March 1st, Jamaica's Prime Minister Andrew Holness announced that one of the country's highways will be renamed in his honor. As we celebrate with Harry Belafonte his 95 years, the government and the people of Jamaica in this our 68th year of independence will name one of our highways after our titan in his honor and in recognition of the long road to freedom Harry Belafonte has traversed on behalf of our people, the Prime Minister said. He pointed out that Belafonte is an icon whose pristine voice, soaring melodies and music on the global stage magically match the rhythm and power of his stride in the march for equal rights, justice and empowerment. His has been a constant voice against racial prejudice, not only in the United States of America, but in South Africa and anywhere in the world that injustice reared its ugly head, he declared. Prime Minister Holness also said that over the years, Belafonte decried colonial oppression and has given a life of service to the campaign for the elimination of chronic poverty and disease, under education and economic hardship. He said the name Harry Belafonte is forever affectionately associated with united artists, philanthropists, and businessmen in the cause for African redemption.
The very well-known USA for Africa was one of his initiatives. Harry Belafonte was born in Harlem, New York to Jamaican parents. From 1932 to 1940, he lived with one of his grandmothers in Jamaica, where he attended Wilmer's schools. As one of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s confidants, he provided financially for King's family. During the 1963 Birmingham campaign, he bailed King out of the Birmingham City Jail and raised $50,000 to release other civil rights protests. He also financed the 1961 Freedom Rides, supported voter registration drives, and helped to organize the 1963 March on Washington. In 2018, Belafonte received Jamaica's fourth highest award, the Order of Merit, for his outstanding contributions in the field of music. And finally, BVINews.com reports that British Virgin Islands Premier Andrew Foy announced plans to position the Terence B. Letson International Airport as the leading airport and eventually a hub in the Caribbean. The announcement was made during a press conference. To this end, the Premier said reviews will be undertaken for the development of the airport master plan and land use plan to support the development of the airport. He said this will be inclusive of the extension of the runway and associated facilities. According to Prime Minister Foy, who also served as the BVI's Minister of Tourism under the leadership of the new management director of the BVI Airport Authority, Kurt Minow, that entity has already begun work to improve the guest experience to align the airport with the expectations of the BVI's airport users. He said work is also being done to complement the Virgin Islands as a top tourist destination to raise the regional and international profile of the airport and to boost its revenue generation capabilities. The passenger journey, Premier Foy said, is being redesigned to improve the flow of passenger comfort and the process has been started to introduce a duty-free store at the airport. The Premier further reveal that as a part of the overall rebranding exercise, a fully functioning customer service department has been established and the airport's authority has partnered with the BVI Tourist Board to rebrand its taxi dispatch service. This has been your Pulse of the Caribbean Caribbean News Roundup for Friday, March 4th. I'm Keisha Wallace, thanking you for choosing Pulse of the Caribbean Caribbean News Roundup as your source for Caribbean-centered news. Be sure to spread the word to family, friends, and associates. For more Caribbean news stories and information, visit us online at pulseofthecaribbean.com and be sure to like and follow us on Facebook, now Meta.